We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to Talking Buffalo, featuring conversations with guests from around the world of sports, media, pop culture, and all things Buffalo, with your host, Patrick Moran. All right, what is going on, everybody? How are you doing? Welcome to another edition, a Friday edition of Talking Buffalo, your weekday daily driver for Buffalo Sports Talk and more. I'm your host, Patrick Moran. Thank you, as always, for locking in today, whether you're checking us out on the audio side, Apple, Spotify, wherever you get your podcast from, or whether you're giving us a look on the video side on YouTube. I appreciate you all very, very much. Thanks for stopping by. Uh, today is Fan Friday. If you're a regular listener or, or watcher to this show and you haven't figured this out by now, what I'm doing with the Friday episodes is... I either have a live uh, Thursday night taping at Imperial Pizza for a Friday podcast drop, or I'm doing these Fan Friday episodes. Um, pretty self-explanatory, too. I invite fans each week, at least weeks that I do this um, type of episode, whether it's on my Twitter, uh, our Facebook page, my email, to send in some questions or comments, whether it's bills, sabers, sports, podcasting, music, life whatever it may be, and then I'm going to answer them on these episodes. Kind of a, a casual vibe. I like to think of this as you and I sitting at a bar, just having a casual conversation. You ask me some questions, and I give you some answers to the best of my ability. I do want to let you know. So at this point, it's already mid-December. Probably, I don't want to say for sure, but unlikely that I'm going to have any more uh, Thursday night live shows at Imperial for the rest of this year. But rest assured, come January, I will be back at that. At least probably, I'd say, twice a month we'll be doing live shows. Most of them will be at Imperial Pizza. And I'm sure from time to time, uh, I'll do some at some other spots as well. And then when I don't do those, I probably, at least the, the plan is for right now anyway, to, to have these type of, um, of episodes. Not going to take up a lot of your time. This is Friday. Um, I know it's a, a big week for the Buffalo Bills yet again. Feels like we're saying that every week, and I'm sure we will for the rest of the season. At this point, that's what happens when you're 6-6 six and six through 13 games, a big game against the Dallas Cowboys. Can't wait to see that game. I feel like um, this past week has rejuvenated life into the Bills season between going on the field and being the Kansas City Chiefs on the road. And I don't care how much that team has struggled offensively, at least this year. Kansas City Chiefs are never, never an easy out, not to mention still, I think right now as we speak, the, the two seed in the AFC. The Bills went to Kansas City. They beat them on the road for a third straight year. So that's kind of got the juices going among Bills Mafia again. And, of course, kind of a, a rallying cry, so to speak, around the embattled head coach, Sean McDermott, based in large part because of the article last week that Ty Dunn from Go Long dropped. Um, I'm going to let you know, too, and I'm going to answer right off the top here. I got one question concerning that. Um, I'll give some thoughts to the question, and then I kind of want to do my best to to move on from that. I, I'm getting to a point where, you know, beating that drum as much as we are is just getting to be a little bit too much. Although I will say, in all fairness, it is an absolutely polarizing topic. 
no matter what side of the fence you fall on, whether you think that story was great, whether you think that story sucked and it was nothing but a hit piece, uh, character assassination, all kinds of other um, shit that I've been hearing over the past week. So no matter what you think of the story, no matter what you think of Tyler Dunn as a person, which I'm more on that in a second, I, I guarantee you this though. If you don't think much of him as a person, I can almost guarantee it's because you don't know him. But anyway, I'm going to answer one question about that. And then I got some pretty fun, I think anyway, some pretty good questions coming from many of you who are hopefully watching and listening to this episode. So without further ado, man, let's just get right into it. And I'm going to knock that question off uh, right off the bat. And there was probably 10 to 15 questions just on that topic, just like last week, which I probably spent half of our Fan Friday episode addressing that. I'm not going to do the same uh, this time around. But the one I will answer, uh, Stan on Facebook says, why have you taken the Tyler Dunn backlash so personally, it seems? Again, only Ty Dunn-related, go long, uh, Sean McDermott article question I'm going to answer on today's show. The reason why I'm taking it personally, so to speak, you know, I don't want to say so to speak. I, I have been taking it personal. I've been sucked into a, a Twitter cesspool over the last handful of days, constantly uh, checking and, and seeing what's going on or people just coming into my mentions. But even if it's not my mentions, just comments and, and stuff like that about Tyler. And the reason why I'm taking it so personal is because, and I said this, I believe I said this last week, I know I've said on this podcast before, I've known Tyler Dunn as a human being before all else. I've known Tyler for quite a while now. Started working with him all the way back in 2006. Yeah, 2006. Um, Buffalo Bills report. It was a blog. It was part of, I believe, at the time, a, a Fox Sports community in Ty. And this was before he started doing this for a living. He um he was the head of that blog, and I wrote under him. So I, I met him all the way back in 2006 and gotten to know him through the years. I know his wife very well. And the reason why I'm telling you all this is because I'm willing to to to, to vouch for the person that Tyler Dunn is. And it's really the shit storm that's went on this week has really bothered me. Although I will say, and I will admit this right here on this show today, that I can understand to some extent, at least to some extent, the strong reaction from fans who hated the series. And I get that. And that's what it's always been about for me isn't what you thought of the series. I think Again, and I used the word polarizing a few minutes ago. I thought it is, um, I thought the series was polarizing. I think the reaction has been polarizing because it doesn't seem to be any in between. Either A, you loved what Tyler put out there. You think it's something that's been long overdue and you hope that it results in some change. Or conversely, you absolutely hated that article, that series, I should say 21,000 word series that Tyler put out there and you, you want to get after him for it. You want to bash him for it. You think he was being unfair. You think he was being too personal. You think it was character assassination. You think it was a hit piece. There's no in between. Nobody is neutral. It seems to me anyway, on this topic, you either loved it or you hated it. You either think Tyler is a swell guy or you think at this point, he's, he's a piece of shit hitman, character assassinating hitman. You know what I'm saying? It's um, it's just been fascinating. But again, I know him, and it's so ironic because a, he can be anyway one of the most critical, toughest sports journalists in the entire business. There's no question about that. This isn't, and many people have brought this up throughout the week. This isn't the first time that Tyler has put out. Some people, well, I don't know, is expose the right term to use? I don't know. But anyway. Back in 2019 with Aaron Rodgers, this happened. Which, by the way, it just seems like I keep aligning with Tyler with his work when it comes to this kind of stuff. Because I think Aaron Rodgers is an absolutely piece of shit human being. And I've thought that for quite a while. Anyway, um, he could be really tough. He will dig deep. He will, you know, he says it in his own words that the NFL is not all rainbows and flowers. And he doesn't cover it that way, man. He un. He unearths some truths and sometimes 
some of them are hard. But anyway, my point was that's him professionally. On a personal level, I promise you this, folks. If, if you're if you're saying he's a bad person, then you don't know him because he is one of the nicest people that I've ever met in my life. A really chill, mellow, um, grounded, humbled, appreciative dude. He's got a, a beautiful wife that I've known for a long time, two kids, great family. He is a stand-up human being. So that's kind of where I take it personal. When I hear people say, you know, this article sucks and blah, 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 and he's a hack and this and that, I, you know, it kind of gets me going a little bit. But then when I hear, I heard a comment, and some of these are from people, by the way, some of these are from people that I actually like and, and or have respect for. Like someone said, he's, he's a TMZ style gossiper. I'm like, are you fucking serious? That just shows me that A, you either don't know him or B, you didn't even bother to read the, the actual, the whole article. And you just took all the aggregated versions from everybody who's just putting bits and pieces out there. So I don't know. On the personal level, the attacks bother me, not attacking the article. And I've had now what? We've had a week to kind of digest the article. And by the way, if you're still listening or watching this show and you're sitting there wondering, what in the hell are you even talking about? Then you're probably not a Buffalo Bills fan because this made national news. Um, there was a part that the 9-11 speech from McDermott was parodied on Saturday Night Live last weekend. So the shit's been crazy. Um, in terms of the article, I've had now had a week to digest it. And in full disclosure, I'll tell you that I've texted with Tyler a handful of times. We've discussed the article. It is definitely my goal. I'll say this right now on this episode too. It is my goal to get Tyler one-on-one -on, -one on the show soon so I can sit down and have a conversation with him about this article. And I would think that he's going to trust me to not throw him under the bus. And I certainly would never do that. But at the same token, I'm also not going to play, you know, fanboy and just lob a, a bunch of softballs to him. I plan on asking him some tough questions that the um, that the people out there who, who, who've consumed the article want answered, but want answered fairly that don't necessarily have a, I love him or I hate him type of stance if that makes any sense. So I, I'm hoping to be able to do that with him um, very soon. But anyway, in terms of the article, I've had now a week to really reflect on it, digest it. Last week, uh, we did a Fan Friday, and I literally taped it maybe an hour or so after reading it. And it was kind of like still in bombshell mode to me. And when you consume, you know, 21,000, nearly 21,000 words, essentially in one sitting, it's really hard to formulate a bunch of thoughts because every time you start to think about one portion of an article, something else comes up and then something else comes up, something else comes up. It can be really overwhelming. And now that I've had some time to, to reflect on it more, I would say that I loved, I still love the series and I still stand by what I've been saying all along that Tyler is when it comes to long form writing, he's as good as it gets in this industry. I put him up on a very high pedestal, did it with Tim Graham. So when it comes to this area, people who live here, you know, Tim still covers Buffalo sports. Tyler is an independent um, entrepreneur having golog.com. He doesn't just cover the bills. He covers the NFL. But anyway, he still lives in this area is my point. They're as good as it gets. That said, 21,000 words dropped at once in a three-part series for me. In hindsight, a little bit too much. Like one of my criticisms is the length of the article itself. Maybe if you're going to have 21,000 words, maybe it could have been broken up over the course of three days or maybe even a half a day at a time just to give people an opportunity to read a section and kind of formulate and digest it a little bit, consume it and come up with their own opinions before moving on to the next one. So personally, on a personal level, I thought the, um, the length was too long or I should say it dropped too quickly not broken up. I, I would have done it that way. And speaking of length, maybe the length was, um, maybe the length was a little bit too long as well. One issue that I will have that I will admit kind of gives the haters out there, the critics, haters, I don't know. What, what do you want to call them? doesn't really matter, I guess. But you gave them the ammunition because maybe there were a little bit too many personal tales of, of Sean McDermott from 
his speeches to his relationship or sources with um, other coaches, former coaches, former players. Which, by the way, it's another thing, too. Besides the old general people who didn't even read it, just hating on the article. So much talk about sources. And people making fun of sources. And the only thing I'll say to that is, if you're questioning that unnamed sources, people are making fun of that unnamed sources, you clearly don't know what the fuck the source is. That, that was obvious to me. That's one thing I learned this week, is how many people probably hear the word sources every day because of people like Adam Schefter or Ian Rappaport. They don't actually know what the hell a source even is supposed to mean. You made that pretty obvious to me this week, folks. But anyway, maybe a, a little bit too much. Like it could have been cut dialed back a little bit on the personal stuff about Sean McDermott off the field. Although to some extent it's necessary because you're kind of painting some of the issues that he's had inside the walls at one Bills drive. I get it, but maybe it was just uh, a little bit too much. And then the other main thing people bitched about the most was timing. I kind of like back and forth on that. I understand Ty's point because the um, the premise for this story, according to him, and I fully believe him, was born after the Denver loss. It's like, here we go again, another wasted year of Josh Allen's prime. That's certainly what it felt like at the time. And if you're saying otherwise, after the Bills lost that game to Denver and you didn't want Sean McDermott fired, guess what? Congratulations on being in the minority. But anyway, that was when he decided to start pounding this out or putting it together. And then after the Philly loss, a game where it was really, really clear that Sean McDermott coached the end of that game, scared, flat out scared. That's when he started banging it away. The Bills had a bye. And according to Tyler, he put the story out when the story was done. I don't really have issue with that. I don't think Tyler Dunn was trying to personally sabotage the Buffalo Bills 2023 season, which some people seem, seem to think. That's just fucking crazy to me. But anyway, in hindsight, I could see the point where why not wait until, you know, the way that things were going this season coming off the rails, six and six, maybe wait till after the season. And if the Bills don't make the playoffs, I think probably you got a lot more people on your side saying, yeah, man, it's time to, uh, it's time to shit can Sean McDermott. So maybe at the time he wasn't the greatest, but in fairness to him, I do completely understand why he would wait to, uh, or not want to wait, I should say, to get this article out. And then the other stuff, like, you know, he's like Steve Tasker mentioned on One Bills Live, which Tyler wrote about in a follow-up column, and I'm totally with Tyler on this, blasting him for, for putting something out for profit. Well, no fucking shit, man. This is what he does for a living. This is his living. And this is one story, by the way. This man puts out features every week. He has columns every week. He has game threads every week. He's a podcast every week. This is just one piece of an entire website that he runs. But of course it's for fucking profit. He has a family to feed. Don't you have a family to feed? He's not some basement blogging hack. Come on, man. This dude has covered uh, the Green Bay Packers. He's worked in Milwaukee. He's worked for the Buffalo News. He's, he's worked for Bleacher Report. I said this last week. When there was an opening for the Buffalo News a couple of years ago, I promise you this. I don't care what anyone else from the news tries to tell you. They wanted to hire him back in the worst way. So knock this shit off. And of course he's putting stuff out in stories for profit because this is what he chose to make his living. If you don't think Tyler Dunn can be employed at some major media outlet right now, you've lost your damn mind. Tyler chose to start his own business. And that's exactly what he's doing. And that's probably the other biggest thing that's really gotten under my skin is in some cases, not many, with the media and just, I don't want to say downplaying the story or having a side on the story because we're all entitled to have an opinion. And when you read something, just like when you, when you paint something, when you sing something, when you take a photograph of something, when you eat something, it's all subjective. It's all subjective. There's no universal opinion. Oh, this story's great. Oh, this story sucks. I get that part. I do. I get it. And maybe, you know, Tyler's indirect criticism of how football's covered in media markets around the country, including Buffalo. Maybe it was a bit much. Maybe that came off, at least to some extent, in the wrong way. I get it. But from the moment this shit dropped, in a couple cases, content creators, I called them out last week. I'm going to call them out again. John Worrell, I thought that was a really petty, shitty tweet that he put out last week in the hours that followed Tyler Dunn's story. New story at 11. You know, players unhappy with coach. 
just really took a, a lot of work that Tyler put in. And again, these are people who know him and just kind of threw him under the bus a little bit. I've heard some, and I'm not going to get into names here, but I definitely have heard some media people, some content creators talk about the story, talk about it objectively, have their own opinions, which again, they're not right or wrong, their opinions, but at least they put them out there. Others had just chosen to ignore it and cover it only as a story and only report what Sean McDermott said, like, especially like with the 9-11 stuff. I don't know. And just some people just seem to have distance themselves. And I wouldn't know, you know, on the level, I'm not going to sit there and act like I'm in some kind of like sports media, Buffalo sports media inner circle. But it just seems to me like some people have kind of distanced themselves. It appears to me on the surface, like you have a group of friends that you, at one time you're really close to. And then something happens. You, you fuck up. Even though he, Tyler didn't fuck up, but let's just say for the sake of this part, this discussion I'm talking about right now, let's just say you do something wrong. You get into some trouble with the law. You just did something that they perceive as wrong. Maybe it's not even wrong. Maybe they perceive it as wrong. You kind of find out at that point who your true allies are. I don't even say friends, but at least your allies. People who will support you, who will stand up to support you. People, when your name is getting fucking smeared all over social media, those people stand up for you and say, yo, man, this ain't right. That's not right. You don't know him. You don't know him. The story, you might not agree with it. You might hate the story and that's okay. But you are slandering him on a personal level. And that's just not fucking right. That's my boy. I've seen very little of that with people from what at least I thought were, were pretty tight. And, and that part is uh, disappointing. Like I said, everything about this is polarizing completely. Evidenced by the fact that yet again, I spent way too much time talking about it. But I'm doing it because I see it as lessons, like almost life lessons. This transcends a football story and a football coach to me. This is about how people consume content, about how they form opinions, about how they're so strong about it, about the personal side of somebody's professional work and the reaction to it and just how ugly it can really be. And I go back to social media because this is pretty much where it's coming from, social media. Let's just be uh, real here, Twitter. Let's, it's Twitter. It's mainly Twitter. Not all of Twitter, but, but mainly Twitter. And you just, you start to understand what a cesspool it really truly could be. And, you know, I'm a content creator and I'm not always near on the level as other people out there, but we all get it to an extent. We, we use social media because it advances what we do. I need Twitter to help advance this show. I put out links. I put out video clips. I put out highlights. I, up, I highlight upcoming guests. Stuff like that. Plus, I have sports and life thoughts, and they're fun for the most part. But that's more and more I'm starting to learn. And this story has really led the way for me understanding this. It's, it's just, it's becoming so nasty. It's so negative. And unlike Facebook, where most people on your Facebook are people that you accepted as a friend, and you could easily change the privacy settings that only your friends, your family, whoever's on your Facebook, they see your shit. They comment on your shit. These are strangers. People don't even know you who just can't wait the fucking tear you down. And it's just really, I don't know, it's frustrating. It's getting to a point where I'm having a hard time uh, dealing with it. Anyway, I'm gonna take a real quick break, come back, and I'm getting some actual Bill stuff, uh, a really fascinating topic, I think anyway, about Trey White and his future with the team. Plenty more coming up right after this. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? 
You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, I am back here on Fan Friday asking or answering, I should say, some questions sent in via email, uh, Twitter, Facebook from fans. I appreciate you all. I'll put up, um, you know, next time if we do this next week, which I think we're going to, I'll make sure I put it up a little more in advance on social media. Again, at least a semi-apology for taking up so much time just answering one question, but I just think it was a, a real important one. Anyway. Let's uh let's get cooking with some of these questions and I'll get through them a little bit quicker here going forward. This is actually the one that I forgot to write a name down for. So I can't even accredit this to one person. He says, or she says, if you could add one player currently in the league to the Buffalo Bills roster, who would it be? Two people came to mind. One of them we just saw last week. And it's not Pat Mahomes. And don't get me wrong, people are like, oh, what's wrong with Pat Mahomes? Nothing's wrong with Pat Mahomes. Patrick Mahomes is still the greatest quarterback in the NFL. But I wouldn't pick Patrick Mahomes because I already got Josh Allen. How much of an upgrade is that really going to be? Minimal, maybe minimal even at best. There's a lot of people out there who say the right situation, Josh Allen would be just as good. Anyway, it's definitely not Pat Mahomes. It is definitely Chris Jones. Let me take that back. Let me take that back. Let me walk that back. That's my runner-up. Chris Jones is my runner-up. That's what I should have said right from the beginning. Look, dude, Chris Jones is amazing. Every single time, win or lose, it seems, the Chiefs and the Bills get together. Chris Jones just eats alive the interior of the Bills' offensive line. And he did it again on Sunday, does it every time. I still remember that 2020 AFC Championship game when the Chiefs just beat the shit out of the Bills, and more specifically, Chris Jones just annihilating Mitch Morris and John Feliciano or whoever the hell was trying to block him on that day. just wasn't happening. Anyway, I, I take him. I put him on this roster. First of all, Ed Oliver is a good, Ed Oliver is a very good defensive end or defensive tackle, I should say. Early in the season when Daquan Jones was healthy and next to him, you were looking at all pro caliber Ed Oliver. And then Daquan got hurt and now they've had kind of a, a, a mosh pit of, quite frankly, sort of mediocrity next to Ed Oliver since the injury between whether it's Jordan Phillips, whether it's Tim Settle, whether it's Laval Joseph. It's just been Puna Ford a couple games. It's just been eh, eh, another guy out there. And Edge still has played pretty damn well. He's had moments. He certainly has flashed plenty. Maybe the consistency hasn't not quite there without the quad next to him, but he's been good. But anyway, man, first of all, Chris Jones is a game record by himself. And now you get Ed Oliver playing next to him. Woo. Good luck, man. And I know some people out there going nuts here and you want to fucking, you want to pick a defensive player. Are you kidding me? We need offense, 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 offense. I get it, man. But Chris Jones and Ed Oliver, Rizone, Leonard Floyd on the ends? Whew, come on, man. That that would be sick. That's my runner-up, though. And the guy I'm going to pick, I am actually going to go offense. I, I can't lie, man. I, how do you not say Tyreek Hill? You have to say Tyreek Hill. That speed, just imagine. You already got it. You know, your, your guy, your, your utility guy who could do everything like Stefan Diggs. He can get behind you. He can make tough catches. Although he's had a couple drops lately. Great route runner. Tough as nails. Great leader, and he is a great leader. And then you add Tyreek Hill, and that speed, that speed that you cannot defend, that speed that you got a game plan for and just pray. Have Tyreek Hill on this offense with Josh Allen? Come on. Are you kidding me? So to me, I don't know. I thought maybe when I first got this question that I would have to take some kind of deep thought, but not really. It's got to be Tyreek Hill. Um, next question, Mark Stopa. Got him along the same lines here. If the Bills could force the Dolphins to bench Tua or bench Hill for the regular, regular season finale, which would they choose? <clears throat> Again, this is easy. It's Tyreek Hill, man. It's Tyreek Hill. Raheem Mostert, even Devin Achan, who's a really good, exciting rookie running back. Jalen Waddell. Those guys all become much less scarier uh, without Tyreek Hill because of the, the attention 
that Tyreek Hill demands, man. You are, you know, as good as the Bills' corners are, you're, you're just not going to stick one of them on Tyreek Hill and call it a day. You're game planning and using a lot of double teams and resources to trying to contain Tyreek Hill. And as a, a result of that, it opens up opportunities for, for the other guys. Um, you know, there's maybe not another quarterback, a non-quarterback, I should say, in the NFL that I think teams plan around more than, than Tyreek Hill. Now, I'm not hating on Tua. I mean, Tua's a pretty good quarterback. Tua could be a great quarterback when you could just throw the ball and, and Tyreek Hill is going to go get it. But, you know, he, I, to me, he's much more ordinary without Tyreek Hill. And to some extent, to be fair, I mean, because Tyreek's such a great receiver and it's not necessarily a knock on, on Tua, but you know what? Josh Allen's probably not as, as fearful to defenses if they don't have Stephon Diggs. And Josh is way better than Tua. So I don't know. It's a pretty easy answer for me. There's only a handful of teams where I would take a player over the quarterback. And so we're clear when I was just using the Diggs-Josh comparison, if the question was reversed and I was Miami, of course you're going to bench Josh. But in this case, I would bench Hill before uh, before Tua. Nate, starting to wonder what this season looks like if Joe Brady is OC from week one. Uh, I think that depends on how much you attribute Josh Allen being hamstrung, so to speak, with his legs first half of the season and how much you attribute that to Ken Dorsey. I think that's probably the biggest question that you got to answer. Is that Ken Dorsey who had more? One thing we know, one thing is obvious, and that's Josh Allen was not looking to run the football while Ken Dorsey was OC. So it comes down to, is that on Ken Dorsey or is that on Sean McDermott? Um, at a minimum, I think if Joe Brady is the OC from week one, you probably have a lot less stress in, in the Giant game and the in the Tampa game. Both of them, the Bills pulled out barely. Uh, I feel like the offense with him, with a with a mobile Josh Allen, again, if you're talking about Joe Brady being OC from week one, if that also entails Josh Allen being the Josh Allen that we've seen now for the three weeks under Joe Brady, if you if you're counting that, sure, I think the Bills score seven to ten points a game more than they've scored. Before that, easily. Uh, yeah, I, I, Giants, easier. Tampa, easier. I would even say Joe Brady was OC since week one. I, I would. I think they beat Denver. I don't think that Denver game comes down to the last drive where the Bills are in position to, to gag it away because of a stupid special teams penalty. So I'll give them a win there for sure. And then, even though it was a shit bomb of a game and a an abortion of a game, just absolutely disgraceful. But the Bills only lost by, what, a field goal at New England? You got to think. Maybe the offense did absolutely dog shit for a first half. Maybe that's not the case with Brady as OC. Maybe they they get up early and they kind of take away the will of the New England Patriots because that game to me felt like, you know, you let the Patriots hang around long enough and you, and you let them get confident and hope that they could beat you. And they did. So maybe if Brady's OC that game, maybe the Bills start out early and, and play better and, you know, they kind of suck that that will out of New England. So, yeah, man, I mean, they're 7-6 and six right now. If Joe Brady's OC from week one, best case 9-4, and four, worst case maybe 8-5. and five. I still think they lose the Jets game because Josh Allen was just absolutely horrific that game. I still think they lose the Jacksonville game in London because they went there too late and they were just flat as a pancake. Major injuries that game. And plus, Jacksonville's a good team. So, and then Cincinnati. Uh, I, they, I said this all along. I think Cincinnati Bengals with Joe Burrow are the best team in the AFC. So, I'm still going to give them those three losses, at least for sure. So, nine to four to somewhere eight and five. Bruce wants to know if the Bills make the playoffs, who I'd like to see them play the most or least in the first round? Well, everything's still wide open right now. And, and man, I don't like even talking about the playoffs because the Bills, even though this was a great victory last week against the Chiefs, the Bills are still a long way from making the playoffs. They got to go out. They got to win. And they got to beat Dallas. They might have to win week 18 at Miami. They certainly have to win one of those two games 100% to get in the playoffs. And neither of those are anything close to a given. But let's just, for the sake of your discussion, the Bills are in the playoffs. Even then, it still comes down to, well, 
are they the seventh seed? Are they a wild card team? Or does Buffalo beat Dallas and then they go and smack the Chargers without Herbert and they smack the Patriots, play the Miami Dolphins on the road who they played really well against in recent years and they beat them? Do the Bills win the division? It's in play. If Miami loses one of their next three games and the Bills win their next three, very feasible, that Buffalo-Miami game could be for the division. So who they play might depend on the seed. Who I'd like to see most is, the, well, number one is Cleveland. Cleveland's a, a good football team. And by the way, I'm going through teams that I also think are going to make the playoffs. Um, Cleveland's a team I'd love to see. They're really, really good on defense and they got talent. But I just refuse to believe because if, by the way, if the Bills are playing Cleveland, that means the Bills are not a wild card team. So it would be in Orchard Park. I just can't fathom Joe Flacco beating the Buffalo Bills at home in a playoff game. So even though they got a lot of good things about them, I would say Cleveland. And then I just mentioned Miami, maybe Miami. You know, matchups, styles make fights. The Bills play good against the Chiefs. The Bills play good against the Dolphins, just like they don't play good against the Bengals, just like they don't generally play good against the Jets, although they did a couple weeks ago. But I'm not afraid of Miami. I'm just not because Josh Allen just cooks every single time he plays the Dolphins. So Miami or Cleveland on, on the side I'd like to play. On the other side, let's say the Bills make it as a wild card and, and don't win their division. Uh, I would not be thrilled to play Baltimore. I'm not afraid of them. I want to put that out there either. But Baltimore's a really good team. They had a great defense. They got some playmaking linebackers and guys in the secondary who can make plays. Lamar Jackson has won an MVP before. As of right now, he's going to be in the mix to win MVP again. Baltimore has good running backs. They can run the ball. Dell Beckham Jr. is coming on. Zay Flowers is a good player. Even with Mark Andrews hurt, I wouldn't be thrilled. I'm not afraid, but I wouldn't be thrilled to play Baltimore in the first round. And the other team's the team that the Bills have seen already this year, and that's Jacksonville. Even though Christian Kirk might be out for the season, we'll see. He's on IR right now. But Jacksonville, an enigma, but a very dangerous team and a team that the Bills have struggled against. Um, they played them a couple times now with Josh Allen as the quarterback. So those are the two teams I probably would like to play least. But I want to make it real clear. I think, and I said this on yesterday's show and maybe the day before, I think if the Bills even get in the playoffs, I think the Bills are the best team in the AFC. I truly believe that. That's not me being a homer, man. That is not me being a homer at all. I promise you that. I just think the Bills, top to bottom right now, if they get in the playoffs, are the best team uh, in the AFC. Jarbel, Jarbel says, will Trey White be back with Buffalo next year? You know, this is going to be an interesting question, and it's not something that people want to really discuss now. And I don't blame them because it's almost like talking about the 2024, you know, starting to do mock drafts right now. Like the Bills are in the weeds right now, man. The Bills are in the thick of a uh, a playoff hunt. And I hate to say it because that's what it is right now. It's still a hunt. They're far from in the playoffs. They're in a playoff hunt right now. So the last thing you really want to do is lock into the future. Since you asked, and I think this is a really good question, it's going to be tough because it's going to be tough for uh, for the Bills, maybe. Trey White's going to be 29 years old next season. He's coming off. He'll be coming off an Achilles tear. He's coming off an ACL, major ACL surgery from two years ago. So this is on the last three years. On the last three years, a cornerback who plays one of the most highly skilled Positions in the league where you got to be athletic as shit, man. He's torn his Achilles and his ACL over the past three years. And who knows what he's even going to be like, you know, going into the spring and into the summer. Uh, if you're wanting to know financially, if the Bills were to cut him after the season before June 1st, they would eat $10.3 million of dead cap money to save about $6.2 million against the cap. If they were to wait until June 1st and designate him as a post June 1st cut, they would have $6.2 in dead cap money for next year, and they would save $10.4 in cap space. And for a couple of people out there who may not understand what's the difference, you could designate somebody for a June 1st cut, and you can cut them, or you, know, you can make that decision to move on from them before. But that money doesn't become available, that cap savings, until June 1st. So that might limit the way a team would operate in free agency, say, in March. So that's why that matters. Um, in part, I think it's a tough decision because of Russell Douglas. 
The Bills traded for him. Brandon Bean traded for him. And I think he's been really, really good. And he's under contract for next year at $9 million, which for a quality on this team, best quarterback on the team on the roster right now, for sure. I think that's a bargain. I would say it's more likely at this point, and we didn't know when the trade went first went down, you know, it was like, well, if Rasul's good, they keep him. If he's not, they cut him because there's none of that money next year that's guaranteed. But I think it's obvious right now that dude ain't going nowhere for 2024. I think it's more likely that Rasul Douglas will get an extension than I do thinking that uh, they're going to release him to save that $9 million next year. He's, he's, I think he's locked in. Um, so anyway, you got him back. And then you got Christian Benford, who has played pretty damn well this year as a starter too. And he's still got two more years after this season under a very team-friendly rookie contract. So hypothetically, for $9 million plus whatever Benford makes, which can't be more than like one or $2 million, he's a six-round pick. So for 10 to $11 million, you got both your corners already locked in for next year. So where does that leave Trey White? One option, a couple people have talked about it before. In fact, the only, the only realistic option, I think, personally, right now, where Trey White is back next year by the Buffalo Bills doing, is if maybe they took Christian Benford and moved him to safety, or maybe even Trey White. But that's not anything I've ever heard before. But last year, there was flirting talk about Christian Benford being moved to safety. So hypothetically, you know, if Micah Hyde's a free agent and his career in Buffalo seems to be winding down, you can move Benford to safety and you could have Trey White. Assuming he even gets back to, you know, 100% and Rasul Douglas as your corners, at least that's a possibility. But this is a business, man. And it's a lot of money. Trey White's cap it next year is $16.6 million. It's a lot of money for a guy who's had two major lower body injuries in three years that plays the cornerback position. That is going to be 29 years old as well. So I don't know. Is it a bad look for the Bills to cut him? Organizationally, maybe inside that locker room with guys that love and respect Trey, a leader on this team? Probably, maybe. Uh, one other point, too, and I got into, I don't know who this is, but Tommy Dangles on Twitter pointed this out. Not a question, but he pointed this out. He goes, don't even know if Trey wants to even come back now. It's another thing. You know, Trey tore that ACL and he worked his ass off to get back. He was a shell of himself at the end of the 2022 season. Worked so, so hard. Looked really good at training camp. Great first month of the season. And he was in agony and you could just visibly see the frustration in his eyes and his face, understandably, when he tore this Achilles against Miami this year. So who knows? Two of those, two, three, you know, maybe the, he doesn't want to come back at this point. Maybe he doesn't want to have to go through this again and put himself through that. Who knows? It's the future. And again, we're focused right now on, on a playoff hunt for the Buffalo Bills, but I definitely think it's a fascinating question to, uh, to ponder going forward. Soon enough, for sure. Um, Matt Stendardi, which wide receiver in a crappy QB situation would you like the Bills to try and get? All right, I don't completely understand that. I, I think you mean a wide receiver that might be stuck on a bad team or maybe like a, a big splash in free agency. Not quite sure, again, what you mean. But what I will say is this. I, I think you can make a very strong argument when you look at this roster right now, who's scheduled to be a free agent, how things stand. Wide receiver two is probably the Bills' biggest offseason priority, whether that's signing a free agent. And I, again, you know, Trey White was an easy conversation. Looking at potential free agent wide receivers or, or guys stuck on bad teams under contract, that requires a little bit of digging in, a little bit of research. And I'm not ready to do that when there's still four weeks left in this season. Plenty of time for that. The only thing I'll add is that, like I said, I think wide receiver two, as things stand, will be a... Uh, a big, possibly even number one priority for Brandon Bean. I do think Gabe Davis's time in Buffalo will be coming to an end when this season ends. Somebody's given that dude. He's done enough, you know, and it's been really up and down this year. A couple great games, a couple disappearing acts. But I think he's done enough between this year, last year, and his career. Somebody out there who's got a lot of cap room is going to give that dude uh, three years and 30 to 36 million dollars 
and it ain't going to be the Buffalo Bills straight up. Um, at J. Kyle, 32 AD, if Bill Belichick moves on from the Patriots, would you fire McDermott, bring him in? <laughs> no. Ah, no, no. You know, I want to say you got to get a quarterback if McDermott's going to get fired, get a, get a, get a coach who, you know, get, get the most out of your quarterback. And, you know, you can say what you want to build about Bill Belichick. But when you, when you look at his career was made by having the best quarterback in the history of the NFL. So you can't sit there and say, well, Bill doesn't know how to, you know, operate with a franchise quarterback. He certainly does. So I don't know. Does he still have it? What's his age? What's his motivation level? Hmm. Moot point, though, because I've never been more confident at any point this season anyway that the Bills are not firing Sean McDermott than I am right now. I think the Bills could lose the next four games, finish 7-10, and 10, and I think Terry Bagula 1,000% is bringing back Sean McDermott for next year. After the story dropped, after the players rallied around him, after the scene last week in, in Kansas City with Brandon Bean giving him the game ball, Terry Bagula behind him smiling. Ain't no way Sean McDermott's getting fired. So I don't know. I, I probably am not giving you a nice, thoughtful answer on Bilicek. I just, I can't even just fathom the thought of it being a possibility. So, nah. All right, a couple more here. Cable, your worst Bills moment as a fan. Well, not counting Scott Norwood's missed field goal, of course, because, I mean, this is a, a two-second answer. Um. Maybe this is some recency bias. You know, I'm getting older and I have a hard time really locking in on old memories. But uh, two, non-football wise, you know, I know you asked the Bills question, but I, I got to say on a non-football level, um, Demar Hamlin just last year, that really affected me personally. I remember being in tears. I remember, you know, I sat here earlier and just lambasted Twitter and social media uh, last year. It was a really um, it was uplifting, you know, people, the messages, the, the videos, the outpouring of love and respect for, for DeMar when that happened, because we thought he was dead. We thought he was dead. This, that was a very tough moment for me as a fan and as a human being, seeing that and thinking he was dead. And, you know, it made for a great triumphant story, thank God. But um, that was one of the worst moments. I just remember crying and just, it's really tough to describe. That's up there. But for me, it's it's still, it's 13 seconds. And I say 13 seconds because that's the first and probably the only time since the Bills went to the Super Bowl last in 1993 where I sat there in that moment and said, the Buffalo Bills are going to the Super Bowl. There was no way, if 13 seconds doesn't happen, there's no way, I don't care what anyone says, I'll go to my grave thinking this, no way Cincinnati was coming into Buffalo and beating them in the AFC Championship game if the Bills survived the 13 seconds. So I, I got to go with that just because it was, again, the only time I thought the Bills were going to the Super Bowl. Now, the Bills were in the AFC Championship game the year before, but I never thought for a minute, even though the Bills scored and played well early, I think they might have even led after the first quarter, but I never felt like that game was even close to being over. 2021, that shit was fucking over. The game was over. The Bills were going to walk off the field. They're going to go home, beat Cincinnati, and go to the Super Bowl. That was incredibly tough. And I remember I watched it at Imperial Pizza and nervous about 13 seconds. I was like, no, nah, this can't possibly happen. And then it happened. Still bothers me to this day. And I don't know that I'll ever completely uh, get over that. Vicky, top three pizza spots in Western New York. All right, running low on timer. So I don't want to really deep dive into this. I, I actually put this on Twitter too, because I want to see what other people think. And I got a lot of responses. Um, go on my Twitter at Patrick Moran TV, find the tweet. There's a lot of responses. Most popular ones that I've seen is Picasso's Pizza and Imperial Pizza. Those are probably the two that I've seen the most. Seen a lot for, for Franco's too and maybe Bocce Club, but like those were the recurring most common answers. For me personally, um, Mr. Pizza is number one on Elmwood Avenue. Now, when I was a kid, that shit used to be on New Hampshire in the West Side. Moved to Elmwood. But for me, still my favorite pizza. Shout out, by the way, Ashley Rowe from formerly of Channel 7. The only person I've ever talked to or interviewed that also considers that her favorite spot. So that's one. Two, Bella Pizza in Lackawanna. Three, 
going to flip a coin. If it's heads, I'm going to go Carbones in the first ward. If it's tails, I'm going to go Lenovas, the West Side original OG um, location. And I know some people have some hot takes about Lenovas, think it's incredibly overrated, too commercial. I still love that shit. So uh, those are my picks. Chuck wants to know, when are your wing rankings coming out? It's been over a year, man. <laughs> That's fair. They're going to be out sometime before the end of this year. So sometime over the next two weeks, I'm going to dedicate an entire episode to my wing tiers and rankings. Make sure I put in tiers here because I put the wings in tiers. Did a bunch of them since I've ranked these last. Some will be up, some will be down. I think I got maybe 10 or 11 new spots to include in there. So that'll be fun. And look for that. Like I said, on this episode, on my social media sometime uh, before the end of the year in the next um Next two weeks. It's just been real busy, man. You know, it's just doing work. I do this podcast now. I used to do it two days, maybe sometimes three times a week. Now this isn't every day. This is a five times a week uh, podcast. So it's been hard to really put thought into it and squeeze it in there. But I will before the end of this year. Jason F. Be honest. Last two, last two questions here, by the way. Jason F. wants to know, be honest. What's the worst podcast interview you've had? And what are a few of your favorites? You know, a big part of me didn't want to answer this because why would I name someone, you know, specifically and to at least to some extent throw them under a bus because I appreciate every single person I've ever had on this podcast. And I mean that who gives up their time and time is the most precious commodity that we own. And for somebody to give their time, 45 minutes, an hour, 90 minutes to sit down and, and conversate with me to help benefit my show. Is something I'm always very appreciative. So this is going to be a, a boring first part of the answer, but then I am going to answer your question. But the boring part is saying, I don't think I've ever, ever, ever have had an interview that I'm like, oh my God, I hate this interview. Or I really like this person when we started talking and now I don't like this person anymore. I'm my kids, man. I don't think that's ever happened in the history of this podcast. And I've had so, so, so many guests on through this five and a half, going on six years, by the way, February will be six years for this show. So I'm not throwing dirt or slinging mud at anybody because I, again, I've never had a horrible, so to speak, experience, but I will say it. And I put a little bit of thought into this, not enough to actually look up the dates or anything, but I got two on the, on the least favorite side. I got two. And again, it's nothing against either of them personally, but one of them it was, um, I had Mary Alice Demler from Channel 2 on. And I don't remember when, but I do know it was definitely before 2021 because I was definitely in Florida, still living in Florida when we did the interview. And it was definitely before I started doing video because I know it was an audio only um, episode. And what I mean by this, when I, when, when I name her, she did nothing wrong. And she was fantastic. She truly was. It wasn't, it felt to me like just a straight up interview. And I know you're like, well, this is a fucking podcast. What are you talking about? That's the thing. A lot of the interviews that I get an opportunity to do, especially if it's with a first time person, I try so hard to make them more conversational. You know, it's kind of like, oh, well, here's a question. Well, let's kind of go off what you said and we'll talk about this and kind of make it into a, into a, a fun way to an extent. But anyway, what Mary Allison was, all right, I'm asking you the question and you're going to give me the answer. And all right, well, here's a question. Here's an answer. Here's a question. Here's an answer. Again, she was wonderful. Her, her question or her, um, her answers were thoughtful. You know, she didn't brush me off. She didn't give short answers, very detail oriented. I thought personally, pretty honest, you know, but I just didn't feel, and maybe that's because I've never met her. Maybe it's because we did audio only and this was before I even had a video camera or a webcam. So we didn't even get to like visually look at each other while we're discussing or talking, even if we're taping the show remotely. So maybe that had something to do with it. It just felt like a very robotic and again, more my fault than hers, robotic type of interview than a, than a connection, than a, than a conversation. So I was not too pleased with that episode largely because of me. But what I will say, I will throw out a little bit of criticism here. And this has happened maybe, I don't know, man. I'm at 680 episodes now or 686, I think I'm at, or something like that as this drops. 
I probably have had, I could probably count on one hand, maybe two hands at the most, but probably even one hand. The amount of people that have been on the show that I've spoken with that didn't do anything to, to promote after it dropped. Like on the Twitter side, a retweet. And, you know, you could give up an hour of your time, 70 minutes of your time, sit down, talk about your entire life, your entire career. It's presented very well. And when that episode drops and I shoot you a DM or a text telling you, hey, thank you again, episode's out, you know, give it a retweet or whatever. You don't retweet it. That makes just, that makes no sense to me. I just don't get that. Why, why would you not hit that retweet button on Twitter? The more people, you know, you put the work in to do the interview, you, you're the subject, you're the star of the show and you don't hit a, a, a simple retweet button or a share on Facebook and stuff like that. You think you'd want more eyes and more ears to, to hear your story, to see your story. And I don't know, that's happened a couple of times, but that was one that I do remember specifically uh, when I had her on that, that bothered me a little bit. And again, I'm not, you know, I'm not trying to bash Mary Alice Demler. I'm a big fan of hers. She's, she's from my interaction with her anyway, a good person and a good solid interview. It's just that connection wasn't there and it bothered me that she didn't want to do anything to help promote uh, the episode. And then real quick, the other one, Ross Tucker. And Ross Tucker is a a big name, very big name. It was a great get. I was really pumped. He was one of my very first, this is within the first 20 episodes. I remember this. Um, It was, a, a, again, a good get, a good conversation. I remember him talking about how much he loved Buffalo, saying that when he played with the Bills, it was the highlight of his career. Ross has become a big name in sports media, podcasting, in broadcasting in recent years. But to this day, the only interview now, we had a hard out. And for people who don't understand what that means, that means you have to be done. When we're taping an episode, an interview, you have to be done by a certain time. So let's say you have a hard out of 45 minutes. I know in my mind, I'm looking at the clock. I'm like, all right, I only got 10 more minutes. I only got eight more minutes. Well, I remember having them on and there was still, I'm thinking in my mind, we're just getting under 10 minutes. I'm gonna start to wind it down and you know, wind, wind the show the way I do. I had a couple of closing questions, good things to, to still hit on. And he gave me an answer to a question. And before I can even roll to anything or start the process of ending the episode, he literally just kept going and says, I got to go, whatever, blah, 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 blah. And hung, and hung up. And then like, that was the end of the interview. It was like the most abrupt interview that I've, uh, that I've ever had. And again, just like, I'm, you know, I'm going to sit here and I'm not going to bash anybody, throw them under the bus. Ross Tucker's a, a really cool dude. A, one of my favorite listens too. I still listen to him all the time today, but yeah, that interview ended abruptly and I was supposed to have a hard out and he ended it prematurely and didn't let me know he was going to do that. And that kind of, that kind of threw me back. Favorite ones. I ain't going there because there's too many of them, man. I'd be here all day. I will say my personal, personal, personal favorite ones are self-indulgent ones. Every now and then I will have a guest on the show because I personally am fascinated by them or I am a fan of them. And I really don't give a shit about the downloads. I don't give a shit if 5,000 people listen to the episode. I don't care if five people listen to the episode. I'm having them on to serve my interests and my interests only. And I don't care who else likes it. Um, Elliot Yamin, way back on American Idol, I think it might have been season four or five, I used to be heavily into The Voice and into American Idol. So I had Elliot Yamin on, an American Idol finalist, on one episode. Um, on The Voice, Matthew Schuler, one of my favorite singers ever in the history of that show. I had him on for an episode. And then just a couple of weeks ago, I'm sitting there, I'm watching a documentary on Netflix about the New York Yankees. Uh, not about the Yankees, Yogi Berra. It ain't over. I'm like, holy fuck, man, this shit is fascinating. Looked it up, found the director, tweeted at him, emailed him, set it up, hit him on the podcast. This is not a Yankees podcast. It's literally called Talking Buffalo. <laughs> but I didn't give a shit. I wanted him on there because I wanted to talk, hear about his process and putting that film together. And I'm glad I did. So those are my favorites. Last question here. John Farley Jr. What Christmas song, regardless of the version or artist of that song, do you not like? For me, it's Blue Christmas. And by it's, it's me, I mean, that's what he says, John. Well, John, you're a monster because 
Blue Christmas is a great fucking song, man. Are you kidding me? You don't like Elvis Presley or any version of Blue Christmas? Come on, man. Um, <laughs> For me, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. I hate that song. It's just boring, man. You know, it's boring. A Christmas song for me should be something that's either fun to sing along to or something that feels like deep, you know, and, and very sentimental. Like, I'll be home for Christmas. That's a, a, a deep song. Blue Christmas to an extent. Little sentimental. Oh, holy night. Sentimental songs. And then you got your upbeat fun songs. Rocking around the Christmas tree. Jingle bell rock. You know, go on and on for days. So it's either fun or sentimental. Rudolph sucks, man. Fuck Rudolph and his stupid nose. Who cares? Those fog, what was it? One foggy Christmas Eve? All right, that's one Christmas Eve. What about the others? I had to make a fucking song for him. Just stupid. All right, that is going to do it for this longer than I thought. But God, I always say that. Every time I do a solo show, longer than I thought, episode of Talking Buffalo. Um, Big, big, obviously, Bill's game on Sunday. I plan on being live after the game. Very likely when my guy Tone Pucks. So if the game's at 4.30, that means we'll probably be live um, at around 8. So make sure you check that out. Big show's coming up. Christmas week coming up next week. It's going to be a fun one. Talk to you guys later. Have a really, really good and safe weekend. Take care.